Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Elevated Educators Nevada. This week, we are interviewing Mac Middle School Principal Roxanne James. Due to the length of the interview, in which Ms. James talks about several key and important issues, we are foregoing our first segment. We hope you enjoyed this interview, and thanks for tuning in to Elevating Educators Nevada. Uh, we are here with our very special guests, one that most of you here in Southern Nevada may know, Mr. Roxanne James, uh, principal at Mac Middle School. Hi. Thank, thank you for coming. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Now, we have asked a lot of people. We went around Facebook, out Facebook and Twitter, and all these Facebook groups are questions to ask you. Okay. Because we know um, you're well known within the Vegas community. That could be good or bad, depending <laughs> on the perspective. Yeah. Should we have to give a little background for people yes, that may not know her? Yes. Well, I'm going to tell listeners, I know Miss James as Miss Kelly because she was my 11th grade AP Lang teacher. Truth. At Foothill High School. And then somehow she finagled me to come on down to Jerome Mac Middle School and change my life for the better. Hey, it was easy to do. Good, <laughs> good decision. And so why don't you tell everyone your background, your history? Sure. Quick snapshot. Um, graduated 100 years ago, actually in <laughs> Delaware. Uh, worked with... My very first teaching, two teaching jobs was a summer school job that I, I did 9 through 12 English, which is pretty typical on a, on a summer school issue. And then the next year I worked at night because in Delaware they wouldn't let um, kids who had trouble in the juvenile system go to school. And they also wow. wouldn't let girls who were pregnant go to regular school. And so I, I worked night school for that population and then during the day I also taught women who were on welfare to get their GEDs and so that was really my foray into teaching a hundred years ago and then I came back to Nevada which is my home state I was born and raised here and um, my first job was actually at Bishop Gorman I didn't know that see you learn things and um, on a side job I also worked at a business school that had women prisoners coming in to learn business English so they could get jobs. And so I have a very um, long background with um, people who didn't make the system or wasn't right in the system and they needed like second chances. And so that was kind of my foray. And then once I got to Clark County 28 years ago, um, worked for Rancho High School and um, Western High School and then Foothill. And then I became an administrator at Foothill, moved over to Basic, and now I'm at Jerome Mac. So that's me. That's that's it. It's done. And you've been principal at Jerome Mac since your I'm beginning my eighth, eighth year. year. I know that's a long time. I like it, and we better keep you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, I need to stay. So <laughs> she if anything she goes, has to stay I gotta stay. I'll be like I gotta stay. I love it. I don't know. A bunch of people very upset. <laughs> I can imagine. Mm -hmm. All right, so the first question we have, and these are, are all questions that were submitted. Uh, we know you, your dog. The dog, Wrigley, and he's not uh, here. Oh, dang it. He, he is well known within the community, and people have wondered, how can we get our own dog for our own school? You know, it, it, it takes some cojones to do it, actually, because 
you actually have to have somebody who um, is attached to the dog. Um, Wrigley's attached to me medically. Um, he goes where I go if if I think there's going to be an issue. Um, for me, it's it's situational anxiety. Um, but what we found is when we brought Wrigley in, we we ad adopted him at birth because the simple fact is you don't want to rescue in that situation because you never know what kind of baggage they bring. And so he really has grown up at Mac. And, yes. you know, and first of all, we thought it was going to help the kids. That, that really was our main focus because we had a situation where we had six suicide protocols in a single day. Mm -hmm. And a lady who was bringing puppies in, where there's puppies, there were puppies everywhere, and they were calming the kids down, and that was kind of the birth of the idea. So we we brought Wrigley in. He's now been there about two years, and what I didn't realize was the effect it was going to have on the staff, staff morale, staff. Um, you know, by the end of the year in a, a Title One Tier One school, everybody's worn out. I mean, everybody is worn out because it's so emotional. And what I saw the first year was not that severe dip. It was, hey, where's Wrigley? Now, I am inconsequential now that the dog is there because they'll walk into my office and go, where's Wrigley? Hi, nice to see you. No, where's Wrigley? Come on, where's the dog? Um, but his just his demeanor, and, and what's funny is he can lay in the middle of the quad on his back as 1,300 kids move around and... Some stop and scratch his belly, and others because other ki some kids don't even have pets or anything, and it's a really good way for them to have empathy. And um, you know, Jessica, when the counselors need him, they call for him, mm -hmm. and he really is all the duties that we can assign him. I remember one student didn't want to get out of the car to come to school, mm -hmm. and he went out and convinced her that it was okay to be at school. And so those are good times. So getting one, there's a lot of red tape or there's none at all, just depending on the, the, the method that you go through it. Yeah, I would say that person would need to communicate with their administration. We're very fortunate at MAC that our head administrator <laughs> is the one that has the dog. But I know like some school sites, they'd say, oh, what if someone's allergic? And so I know, Roxanne, you always respond with, well, we keep him in the main office mm -hmm. and we always ask a student before if they want to see him are you allergic do you want to see Wrigley and some kids will say no but most of them say most of them say yes yes please and the other part is I mean we've had we've had parents come in and request him we've had members of our community saying we want to see this dog and so we we let the community know that he's on campus there's there's a sign there there's pictures of him everywhere and so he's he's, he's well website. known he's on the website <laughs> and so um, it's all about communication, and our community is absolutely acceptant of it. Others may not be, but 100% of the people we've worked with um, see the reason to have them, and the thing I get most of all is, why don't all schools have it? Which is a really good question. We should get Miss James in touch with Trustee Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Trustee Ford's initiative is she wants a support dog in every campus. Yeah. So that'd be a really cool initiative. Wrigley and Roosevelt. Wrigley and Ro 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 Rosie. What's Rosie, yeah. She brought Rosie. Oh, she said Roosevelt. It's a formal. <laughs> so, Roxanne, we have another question from listeners. Um, 
we are a pilot school at Mac. We are innovative. Innovative school. pilot mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And so with that, um, I believe every licensed professional receives a $10,000 incentive. And so the question is, with the $10,000 incentive at our school, at Mac, is it going to be a lot more stress for teachers to work at that school? Is there going to be more micromanaging? What are your thoughts? Are we talking Mac specific or innovative schools overall? I think they're saying overall. Overall. As with anything, it's certainly dependent on the administration and the work environment that's already there. Um, I can only speak from the position of Mac. Our staff, our our family, is already under the gun. They already work really, really hard. And I, I don't think this is a measure to say let's work harder. I think originally it was to entice people who hadn't thought about working at a Title I Tier One school or thought, you know, to get people who said, look, I, I have something to offer and now this is an incentive to get you there. Um, this isn't a, a quid pro quo in terms of, hey, you get $10,000, now I'm going to make you work harder. Um, the work is hard, no matter where you go. The issue is is making sure that those educators have the supports that they need um, so they can support the kids in what they're doing. It is very focused, what we're trying to do. Um, and, and the reminder of this is our why. Our why isn't $10,000. Our why is our, to make sure that our kids who are coming through are getting the best po- possible education. Because the reality is, is our types of schools aren't those schools where a lot of people say, hey, that's my first choice. You know, a lot of people go, hey, I, I, want, I want AP classes at a high school. I would like accelerated classes because that's what I'm looking for. And really, there, there's a need for those teachers, and that's their calling. Um, what we're trying to do is find the calling of teachers to say, you know what, I have more to give because we have to give more emotionally on the front end before we even get to the educational piece. And so um, micromanaging, no. Um, at least as far as Mac is concerned. My job is to make sure that pressure stays off of my educators because nobody's going to, I'm, I'm not going to put a 100-pound weight on you and go, please work better, work faster, you know? That's not the issue. The issue is finding the right people with the f- right mind and heart set to get to the kids and what they need. Have you received any guidance from the district on what you have to do? We have, and it doesn't have to do necessarily with the $10,000. It has to do with the stipend that goes along with the possibility of getting extra. Um, along with that $10,000, there is a possible $5,000 extra. And so we as innovative principals have been meeting with um, the district and, and union personnel and HR personnel to say, how is it that we can be equitable to say, I've got a PE teacher whose students aren't tested, and we have math and English for those kids who are. We have special ed kids, we have ELL kids. How do you, how do you even the playing field for the educators to say, my kids got it, but your kids didn't, so I'm getting the money. And so we'll be rolling out what the district, what we've all, we, we came to the table to kind of hammer things out to say, this is what's going to work in terms of identifying what success looks like. They've given us three years. In each of those three years, um, us making moves will, and, and there are, and I want to say five, I haven't looked at it recently, but there are five general categories that will have to be um, met 
but they'll be school-wide. And so this is a school-wide initiative so that PE and ELL teachers and special ed teachers and counselors, they all work together because it's all our kids. I'm glad that they have decided to kind of go with our philosophy that we talked about as a school, which was we either all get it Nobody right. Gets it. Right, and and I think it's, and for us, I'm hoping to you know competitive make it a little bit more competitive to go okay sixth grade versus seventh grade versus eighth grade, <laughs> you know to have a little fun with it. But but the reality is is all of our kids need that push, Absolutely. and so as long as we're all headed in the same direction, I think it'll work quite well. Well, Roxanne. Yes, ma'am. What are the biggest issues you see coming into a Title One school? What are the main deficiencies you notice in students, and what are the best qualities you see in your students? You know, I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about Title I kids, and there's a lot of biases that walk with those those expectations. I think a lot of people believe that if you come from poverty or a different country with a different language or different mores, different religions, whatever they are, um, there's better and there's lesser. And lesser can't do more and therefore people believe that they can't learn. And so coming into a Title I school, you have to have the kind of educators that believe that no matter who those kids are, they're kids. They're, those parents, those families, those communities, these are the best kids that they bring to us. And they were born and they were celebrated and somewhere along the way, whether it's community-based, whether it's house-based, some things went awry and, and they have not had the same opportunities. My biggest challenge with Title I is, are my educators and trying to change the heart set of our, of our educators so that they understand that um, these, these kids are equal to anybody else walking into any other school. Um, they may be behind and so they need more, they need better. And so my expectation is the people I hire and want to bring in to our family are the ones that go, I understand that I may have to get through a whole lot of social emotional before I can get to the academic. But the other side is love them enough not to have them want to stay in the same place where they are. You know, it's not about lowering any bar. In fact, I think our kids have to work twice as hard. Mm -hmm. And therefore, our educators have to work twice as hard. Um, there's, there's no magic in terms of what the deficiencies are. Um, poverty brings about issues with kids, and it starts with pre-K all the way up. And you can see it when you look at the studies and the research with kids that if they haven't had the, the strong family structure, those people who read to their kids from the very beginning, those opportunities young, they get behind what you would consider a, a regular middle to upper class environment that other kids come from. And so we're making up time. It can be made up in middle school. It can be made up. It's harder. Um, what's the best part, I want to say, you asked that, that last question. Mm -hmm. um, I find that working in a Title I school is the most rewarding thing in the world. You better not be doing it for a paycheck. Um, because I tell my educators all the time, this is your payday. When the kid comes to you and the light bulb has gone off or they showed up and they hadn't been showing up 
or they manage to get through a full class without going to the counseling office or all the all the little steps that maybe a, a, a middle class traditional um, school take for granted those are baby steps for our kids and so but those are our paydays we look at our kids and say okay this one we saved this one and it's a matter of getting those those educators to understand that that's the best payday in the world there is no pay I mean and and I've seen it from the upper class from from the Bishop Gormans and the, and the foothills to the ranchos in the western to you know to Jerome Mack and I will tell you our kids are sweet they are um, so interested to they're real and and they will tell you the way it is but they will also hold you accountable because they know what real looks like that a lot of them come from the the streets that they have seen a life that we haven't Mm -hmm. and got to respect that I remember having shell shock when I first started on the first day of school coming from Foothill. Right. But in a good way. I remember thinking, these kids are exactly who they say they are. They There's no games. There's no, like, weird societal, I'm trying to show you a better version of me because you're my teacher. They're just, this is who I am. And not in a bad way. They're just, like, genuine. Right. I trust them. I love them. And they like to hug more. They hug more than any other school I've ever been at. And that's elementary, too. I've been to elementary schools. So right. I don't know. I'm just going off of her. I love Mac. And I love that you keep <laughs> saying family because we really are. We love each other. We bicker. Oh, yeah. We fight really, really well. <laughs> but but, like but the issue is, but, but we fight for the right reasons. Yes. And there really isn't anybody on our campus that isn't working for our kids. We... Yes, we are employed by the district, but we work for our kids and we work for our staff and we work for our community. And I think we do that in exactly that order. Mm-hmm. Speaking of family. Speaking of. You know, one of the biggest challenges for Title I and Tier One schools is family engagement, mm. getting the families involved. So what does family engagement look like at MAC? Okay. And how do you enhance or improve upon what's already being done? Um, you know, I, I came from educationally the idea that the expectation was uh, parents come to open house and parents come to concerts and big sales and, and you know, sporting events. And um, what you have to understand is in many title communities, that's not their reality. That's not what they've been raised with. Educationally, they may or may not be educated in a formal manner. And so you have to understand what is parental or familial engagement. And so I, I was able to learn some really cool stuff when I went back to school a while back. Um, and at that point, we learned about home visits because the idea is we become a bureaucracy that communities don't understand. They don't know how to navigate it. They fear it sometimes. And, and you know, you walk into the building and it's our rules, it's our way, it's our agenda. And so a couple of years back, we said we're gonna kind of flip that script and we're going to, we're gonna go to them. Because the reality is, is they're the experts at their kids we're the experts at education. We have to get together as partners, and if they're not able to get to us, 
we try to get to them. And so we've had a couple of years, and I know Jessica has done a lot of spearheading into the idea of going to homes. And our protocols are, are, are pretty basic. We want to know what their, their hopes and dreams are for their kids. And that breaks that ice. And, and what we have found is we thought we were actually helping them. And what we've learned is, is that we've been educated quite, quite differently. You know, again, it's our biases. We, we think that people who come from Title I families are the, you know, the poor. They don't have this, they don't have that, or they're unclean, or they're this, or they're that. When somebody opens their home to you and all of a sudden you see the love and you understand it's not that they don't want to be there, but they're working two and three jobs or four jobs and the kids are having to take care of siblings. All of a sudden you go, gosh, you're, you're just trying to make life happen for you. We, you. You are relying on us when we're at work. And so us coming to their homes and them granting our, our visits has really opened our community up to, um, and, and, it's, and it's not an issue of, oh, let's go see the bad ones or let's go see the good ones. Um, you know, we want to we want to go to homes that um, want to see us, and that's where we start. And then what happens is, the kids come back, and all of a sudden they're excited, saying, oh, "You came and you saw my lizard because they have a pet lizard, <laughs> right?" And then the kids in the class said, "Well, why can't you come to my house? Mm -hmm. I want you to come to my house because they they're very proud of where they're coming from." And so why not go? Why not take that time? And so for us, family engagement is us making it easier for them and going in and really with no agenda. Mm -hmm. What are your hopes and dreams? How can, we, how can we be part of that? How can we make your, your process more successful? And the only thing I ever ask my educators to do or when I go is the only thing I want you to do is be your, your child's biggest fan because that is the absolute number one engagement strategy by research that helps kids be successful is that they have an adult in their life that is their fan. I agree. I love home visits. I have a goal to meet. How many is on my list? 17? I have there, there are more. There's more? There are more. Well, my goal is to go and visit, like, the most trauma-filled homes based on any data we can collect. And doesn't mean, like Roxanne said, that their home isn't filled with love, because every home visit I've ever done has been very positive. But that's my goal, and I'm going to have to really bust my little butt to do it, because I think I only did four last year, yeah. which doesn't seem like that much, but it... Decent. It, well, it, it impacted those that you went to. It did. I'd and, like to do more, though. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and and they want more. They do. And the other side of it is, is a lot of times they're afraid to come. They're afraid to come to our building because they're just unsure of what they're going to see. And so, if we can break that ice, then they're more apt to join us. Especially the language barrier. I love how it. You going to them and bring in having a translator shows. I am just as weak at something as you. We, you have a skill I don't have. I have a skill you don't have. Right. And there's no better or worse. We just need a, someone to help translate. That's right. all. So I like going to their playing field. Well, and, and again, it brings out the partnership. It, I think it supports the idea that the parents or the families, if you will, 
they're the expert at the kids. We're not. We, right. we only have them for a short period of time. They know their kids better than we do. And so whatever the help they can get to us to help unlock the kid, it's great. You have a fan that says, you're so innovative. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, how can you explain Max progressive discipline? Because you're so innovative. Mm-hmm. Innovative. I, I think the idea is you have to take a look at your audience and the, and the kids you support in your community, and you have to say what is and isn't working. And so, you know, a few years back, we were, we were throwing away kids, and we were failing. We were failing because we were suspending. We were failing because we were expelling. And so we had to take a look at ourselves, a hard look at ourselves and what our policies were to say, what good does it do to send a 12-year-old home to a place that may or may not have an adult or requires that adult to take time off of work? How is that punishment? It's a punishment issue. And so we got into a very bad, our first three years at Mac, we got into a very vicious cycle of kids wanting to be thrown out of school um, because then it's a vacation. And so you had to kind of just rethink to go, wait a minute, you're not supposed to have vacation. You know, we all want to be home, so let's not do this. And so we rethought it and said, how about if we said nobody goes home? What if the new rule is nobody gets to go home? What would we have to do to A, continue to support the teachers in the classroom, because it's not about, you know, kids getting to rule the roost. How do we do that, and what would it look like? And so we, we've spent several years, different iterations of what we do, but we have, and we don't call it progressive discipline because we don't, it's not a discipline matter. Um, we call it tiered intervention. Long before PBIS was, you know, the flavor of the month or, and you know the new stuff that they're they're doing out there what we're doing is we're, we're taking a look at it as just as you would an academic intervention okay so what what are we doing um, first and foremost I I try to make if you will the the punishment for the crime number one number two I've got to make sure that I'm supporting my educators that they don't believe that they're that they need to have classrooms that are, are, are free from distraction and disruption. And kids need to understand they don't, they don't get to make the rules. And so what we do, um, and it's changed obviously over the years, but our current iteration is that um, a teacher, if they're struggling with a student, if they've done all their magic, and they're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Then what we do is we send a teacher to their room. They call for what we call a walk and talk. But the first thing that we do is we ask actually that teacher to step out of the room. The educator takes the place of the teacher in the room. The educator gets a moment because really the reason why kids ask to be out of the environment they're in, there are very few reasons. Most of them have to do with academics. You're going to make me do something I'm feeling uncomfortable with. I don't know what we're doing, and a lot of kids want to be the bad kid and not considered stupid, and that's really their their motivation. And so if we can get the educator, the teacher, whoever it is, to step out with the student and just walk and talk a little bit so they can do it without the prying eyes of their peers, because I guarantee you students will go to the mat to, to win the argument. Um, 
we try not to argue at all. We try to listen to our kids, what's going on, something, what's not happening here. And we give them about two minutes to see if they can't work through it. If that doesn't work, when they go back to the room and the teacher still doesn't feel like there's, there's anything that has worked, then the other adult will go on a walk and talk and see if they can manage some things and get the student back into class. Our, our goal is always to get the kids back into class, but not in a way that runs the class. If that doesn't work, we have something called our TMZ room, which is our timeout zone. Uh, Ten-minute zone. Ten-minute zone or teacher mental health zone, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. But we have a full-time staff member in there, and their job is to really get to the why behind it. What choices did you have? The kid actually has to do a self-reflection sheet. They have about ten minutes to talk through what's going on. The, the adult in there asks them to, you know, what their processes were. They call home to try to let the family member know that, hey, they visited today, they're having a bad day, the teacher, you know, that, that adult doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, the student has a story, but that adult doesn't necessarily know both sides. And so we always want to get the parent involved so they understand what's going on. And then for something more egregious, you know, we, we again, try to make things work. Um, after school, Detentions don't work because kids don't stay. Rounding them up is pretty tough, and so we, we round up our detention kids for lunch. They still get lunch, but they don't get it with their peers, and so there's, there's that issue. Um, and then either TMZ or we have something called our step room, which is our student um, successful temporary educational placement, and it, it is our academic room for students who would be suspended, who would go in, and, and it's, it's more than in-house. So it would be like a star on type thing? It is a star on type thing. We actually started ours, I wrote a grant six years ago for it. We were the first. And what was cool is because we're a one-to-one -one school with all students having Chromebooks now, it was laptops but Chromebooks, all of our student work is online in Google Classroom. So they don't miss out on school at all in this room. The other thing we add is something called base ed. It is our, it is our um, social emotional piece. And kids and sometimes the parents who can also watch videos and whatnot, they actually have to go through a process. Our, our step program, there's intake. They, they do a whole lot of what got you here and what the rules are. And our kids start earlier, they end later. They don't get lunch at the same time. It's it, it. They still get to go outside. They still get everything that a, a regular student would, but it's very um, concentrated with adults and students. And and the the issue is is we want to get them back in the classroom, but they have to understand that they have to change whatever that they're doing in order to get back into that classroom. And so, before they leave our step program, they have to do a, a capstone project. A lot of times it's just a PowerPoint where the student has had processing to say what got them there, how they're going to stay out of it. Um, and for the most part, students who return to, star, to our STEP program is very low. We do have a handful of students who actually feel more comfortable in there. You know, our, our goal is always to get them back out in with their peers and learning those strategies that will help them be successful in a general classroom. 
Um, but some of our kids don't necessarily have the emotional capability to be there yet. And so we give them time to, to, to grow. And, you know, some of our toughest case kids, sometimes they don't want to leave that the protection of that room because in that room, which sometimes also becomes a family, um, they don't have to put up walls. They don't have to be this this reputation that they have to live with outside of that. And so, in a lot of ways, it's it's protection for those kids. And and you know, our parents have the right not to have our kids there. Um, they do have the right to have them suspended outside of school. Um, we've had very few over the years take that opportunity. But what it does is it allows teachers time. Um, and then our teachers are amazing because then they go in and they help the kids out in that room of their own volition and mm -hmm. make sure that they're on on target educationally. So again, it's getting the kids back and getting them academically where they need to be. It's all about that support. So given our school has a lot of challenges. What? Apparently, that's what, what? this listener said. Really? <laughs> How, okay. how do you keep employee and student morale high? You know, isn't this a better question for you? For me? <laughs> Don't you know this I answer? I am kind of the sunshine committee, but you are. You can, you're, the, you're, the, you're the top of this. Oh, school, the top so. of this. Um, you know, the issue is this. You have to value the people who are in your, in your lives. You, you build relationships with them. Um, you know, my, I think my biggest job is making sure that I know my peeps and get to know them as individuals um, and find out what feeds them. Every human on that campus needs to be fed. And my job is the adult side of it. You know, if you don't feed the teachers, they'll eat the children. There's, that's an old book. That's an old book. I'm going to get that shirt for you. Yeah. Um, but the issue is, is if I can caretake my adults, then they'll caretake the kids because I'm no longer in the position to caretake the kids. And so the majority of my job is, how you doing? What's going on in your life? Tell me, tell me what's up. And just checking in, finding out from each individual um, how to feed them because everybody gets fed differently. I mean, some people really need the pat on the back. Um, some people need, you know, the amazing holiday party. Um, <laughs> we have an epic. Christmas we have an party. epic. No, no, holiday party. Holiday, holiday party. Yeah, I am anyway. a Jew. I can say it. You can say it. <laughs> anyway, um, but the issue is, is, is being situationally aware. A lot of times, I'll sit on the bench in the morning with Wrigley as they come in, and I just Every watch morning. the body language to see. How are my people coming in? And you can you can watch what kind of day you're going to have based on who's coming through the doors and and the load they're carrying. And I'm not talking the supplies they're bringing in, you know. And so sometimes you you go and you see that person going, okay, what's going on? And sometimes you say, you know what, you need to go home. You know, today is a mental health day. Um, sometimes it's walking when you you know you're planning on going to go to go observe and and you see a look in their eye and you go okay I'll catch you next time don't worry but you have to be aware you have to come out of yourself and go what can I do how can I help you because if I'm not helping you you're no good and I need you good because I'm not going to teach this lesson necessarily as well as you can you you've developed those relationships with those kids and so 
um, it's it's not only mine but certainly the admin team and even the strategists who work for us and sometimes even the counselors I may stop by and go you know what so-and-so is having could you go because maybe maybe I'm not I'm not the lever that that makes it right but it's it's every single day and and you listen a lot and so for me that's that's the best way I know how it's nice to hear the thank yous. It's it's nice to be appreciated for the, you know what I noticed about you? And then finding somebody as cheerful and as sunshine, because I've known her since, you know, she was in 11th grade, and that part has never changed, so you know. Much have her life. Have her life. Have a glimmer of sadness, because she she's leaving this out, but she's a huge empath. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point of, I could be 20 yards away, and she feels my energy. And it's the freakiest thing. I think that's what makes you a good admin mm-hmm. because she picks up on everyone's vibes instantly, whereas a lot of other admin don't take the time or just don't have that gift. So if I have even just a glimmer of sadness, like just for a second, she's like, hey, stop that. <laughs> Do you want to ask the next one? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can just go on with your life story, Lefer. Yeah, it's kind of fun. All right, so on the more serious side, mm-hmm. uh, we know bullying is a major issue in schools today, both regular bullying and cyberbullying. Uh, what symptoms or actions can we look for in our kids to see if they're being bullied or bec- actually being a bully themselves? Hmm. Well, much like the answer to the last question, you have to kind of pay attention to your kids. Um, I know when I'm training new administrators, part of the thing that we we highlight is watching kids' faces. You know, the eyes are the the windows of the soul, if you will. And the kids will tell you if you're paying attention, just like the adults coming in on campus. And so it's, it's important to keep an eye on, um, first of all, if kids' behavior changes and to pick up on that and to ask, you know, don't be afraid. Don't just assume it's something else. The, the, the real issue is being, you know, brave enough to go up and say, hey, let's talk. What's going on? Because if you start by, hey, what's wrong, immediately the answer is a shutdown. Instead, you come at it with, how you doing? What's going on? What's going on? You know, tell me about things. And, and it's, it's something to, to get them there. But part of it is is watching. Um, I'm a believer that bullying and victimhood, because kids kids are either victims or they're bullies if they're playing those roles. Though that happens from home. That really starts at home, that, that dynamic. And so as we get to know our kids, because we're not at home with them, um, it's kind of cluing into what they're saying. You know, victims have victim language, bullies have bully language, and you listen and you 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 try to change what those those conversations are. Um, we actually we have a pretty low percentile of bullying comparatively to other schools, and I think part of that is. Um, you know, our, our students deal with so many life issues outside that bullying would, is kind of on the low end of the scale. They still have girl drama. They, they still go through that because they're middle schoolers. But um, the real issue for us is 
and the ones we really have to pay attention to are and worry about are the ones who are more likely to become victims of sexual issues and and for us that's where we got a key in, and especially females it's not that males don't have it too because they do but again it's it's i we have an incredible we call them our ninja squad which is our new social emotional peeps they're so good at what they do in terms of keeping a pulse going i mean we we get to know these kids over time and we spend a little bit of our time um, we have a very cool rubric that we take each of our students through it's our uh, social emotional rubric and it's about what are what what is their possible trauma level and so each of our students gets kind of a trauma score even before we start. And so we have a, a really good idea of those students who are on the high end who might need um, some proactive interventions before we even start. So as we talked earlier, right. you know, Jessica already knows who her key kids are, even though they're sixth graders coming in. It's taking a look at the information we already know about them and acting on it before we have to react. And so... Again, it's getting to know your kids. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, especially in middle school, changing their dialogue, changing their internal dialogue, changing their outward dialogue, and teaching them a different way. Because bullies usually are those kids who have come from bullying, and victims are also those who have been victimized at home. And so it, it's about knowing your kids. I'm going to piggyback off of that. Yay. And about knowing your kids, a lot of our listeners are asking, how can parents start age-appropriate discussions with their children about things that we've discussed, like drugs, alcohol consumption, sex, or unwelcome sexual advances? Yeah, those conversations should start at birth. They, I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, we, we laugh about it. And I'm a mother of three. I'm a grandmother of six. And I have, a, I'm a, I have a bonus daughter, too. So I actually have four daughters. You look good for being a grandmother. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. This isn't on, okay, it's not televised. Anyway, um, the thing about it is, is you have to have those conversations from the time kids understand language because it's about setting boundaries and it's about personal boundaries and it's about um, empowering our kids to have the right to say no understanding that they have rights and you don't start that conversation at 10 you know right. you start you you say it all the time and um, for example I, I'm a huge believer of teaching kids the appropriate names of the parts of the body. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's a part of the body. It's a left arm. It's a right ear. It, it's, it's not something that is, is to be ashamed of. And so unless we call it what it needs to be called, there's almost shame to that. So I always tell parents, and this has to do with the conversations or even getting kids to behave better, you start at two. You start by telling them no. You start giving them boundaries. You tell them what your family's mores are. You know, in my family, we very few rules because I wanted my kids to discover. I wanted them to try, but it was very much here are the things that aren't acceptable, and here's why. Tell kids why. Why don't you want them to visit porn online? That's a big thing for Mac. 
Our mm-hmm. kids are, they have Chromebook access, which means they have World Wide Web access. And our kids are pretty savvy to get into places that they shouldn't get into, even though we have, you know, Every we have year, barriers, right? It just gets more and more savvy. But if I teach you why that's not a good idea, now it's okay. Kids, kids are pretty cool about going, why? You just tell me no. You just keep me away from it. Now I want to know even more because that's a really cool secret, and you must be hiding something amazing, right? And it's all about that. And, you know, the idea of, of a, a girl or a boy's body and, and how they become, you know, those changes that are going on, and I can speak to it. My oldest daughter has a, a, her oldest son going into sixth grade, and I keep looking at her going, how's that conversation going? You have to be willing to say, here are the things you might see. These are the things you might hear in the course of a day. You know, our kids are bombarded with sex and drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and and all of these things. Parents should be talking along the way. This is why our family doesn't do this. This is what we believe in. This is what is not good for you. Why not vaping? Why not cigarettes? Why not drugs? Mm -hmm. So... It starts at home. Starts at home, and it starts very early. The younger, the better, in my opinion. All right, Roxanne, we're going to end our show oh. with Elevation Station questions, which are three questions we ask each of our guests. Okay. On the fly. On the fly. So, what is your dream school? I'm in it. Oh, <laughs> my heart. I, 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 I'm in it. I eight years. That that says something. And every year, I'm blessed. Every year, are you are you kidding me? Come visit, come visit my school. You'll want to teach there. You'll want to work there because the people are all there for the right reasons. You're and, making me oh. miss it. Good. Yeah. We got to start working a couple weeks. I know. I know. We got to work in a couple weeks. All right. Second question. Uh-huh. Who is your favorite teacher and why? It could be real or it could be fictional. Hmm. I think my father. My father. Um, my father, he went through high school, but he's also, he's, he's always pushed the idea of being educated. And it doesn't have to be formal education. It's about improving yourself, no matter what age you are, what, whatever you're doing. Um, and I think really he was the reason why I, I got into this, this avocation to begin with. And it's about, you know, helping others See, that's what I want to do. I want other people to get to the point that they can find their niche, that they take their potential and reach it. And I think that's what he always did for us because I'm the first college educated in my family. We were extremely poor. And he always said, it's about an education because nobody can take an education away from you. And I, across the line, believe that 100%. And that's why I do what I do and, and I work with the people I do with the communities that we do. Because if we can get students to understand that education will open whatever door, they can go through or not, but it opens it. And then, then it's on them what they do with it. And it's to throw cool. her under the bus, or wherever on the bus, She's earning. She's on her tr- way to earning her doctorate. She just was accepted into a doctorate program. Aww. What are you studying? Executive leadership. Executive How to lead. leadership. How to lead. How long is the program? Three years. You're gonna rock it. Hey, 
Who's going to edit? Bags. Bags under my eyes, you know? Who's going to edit your paper? You are. No. I've taught you. You should be able to do it. Can you imagine editing her dissertation? I would, like, throw up after the first line. It's just too much. All right. So what is your favorite useless acronym or buzzword used in education? Oh, golly. Oh. Wow. You should have given me more time on that one. There's a lot to choose from. There are. Acronym or buzzwords. I think anything that ends with program. Okay. I... I... Okay, you know, I'm a believer of people. I'm a believer of people over programs. I, I don't think, you know, this is a testing program. This is the curriculum program. This is a, no, none of that is going to help a kid get better. It's going to be the human that helps them unlock whatever that they need to unlock. So I think it's not an acronym, but I... I detest programs. I, the program of the month. This is the best thing. We should try. No, buy humans. Invest in humans. If 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 I could, if I could, if I could change the world, right? I get to buy more people. Get more people doing the work with the kids, and our kids will fly. I just love her, Roxanne. Can you leave your Twitter handle so people, if they want to follow you? After this? Sure. What's your Twitter handle? My uh, Builder of Humans. Builder of Humans, y'all. Builder of Humans. It is what it is. No. That's her. We thank Thanks. you so much for coming today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. This is, You know, this is my favorite subject. <laughs> it is. Ours it is. Too. This is my favorite <laughs> subject is educating. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for listening to Elevating Educators Nevada. Please remember that any rebroadcast, editing, or manipulation of an Elevating Educators Nevada podcast without express written consent is prohibited. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is ElevatingEDUNV. Or you can email us at ElevatingEducatorsNevada at gmail.com. Music for this podcast is carefree from Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening.